0: Oh, tuned in to new stars with Neil Clark playing the up-and-coming artist first. Hear their stories before anyone else. Coming up on today's show. To come
1: back to me. I gotta find me an angel. I, 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 I,
0: Welcome to another New Stars show with myself Neil Clark. Today I'm talking to a music historian, author and writer known as the British Ambassador of Soul. He has enjoyed a near ringside seat observing the progress of Aretha Franklin as one of the most iconic global artists of all time. You're going to be in for a treat because he is... No other than David Nathan. Welcome to the show, David.
2: Well, thank you, Neil. That was quite an introduction. I, don't, I, I, don't, I hope I can live up to the <laughs> expectations you created. And really, thank you for having me on, on the show. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Now, born in London, and your introduction to black American music was initially via the albums you bought by the Beatles, and your pocket money spent on Dionne Warwick's Walk On By, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas' Heat Wave, then on to Gladys Knight and the Pips, Irma Thomas and more. What was it about the black American music that drew you in?
2: (laughs) That's a question I've been asked a few times, and it's really actually difficult to say. Uh, Here's the best I can come up with. Um, You know, as you correctly pointed out, my my first, uh, you know, you could say pop music uh, came in the form of, of albums by the Beatles, and what I found particularly enjoyable were some of the covers they did. So they did uh, on some of their early albums, they record they did cover versions of songs by the Miracles, "You Really Got a Hold on Me." They did um, um, now now I'm trying to remember the other one. oh please, Mister Postman, of course the Marvelettes, um, Twist and Shout, I So so they did do a fair portion on some of those early albums of um, of their versions of what were, would have been music by what we then called R&B uh, or R&B artists. And of course, quite a few of them were Motown related. I mentioned the Marvelettes, the Miracles and so on. And um, I was fascinated. First, I liked the music. I liked the Beatles versions, but I was also fascinated by the fact that they mentioned these uh, artists on the back in the, in, the, in the notes on the back they would make reference to those. I was like, Well who are these people? I don't know who any of them are, but they mm. sound so interesting, the names, you know, the Marvelettes, the miracles, you know. And so so my fascination well, first it began with the fascination. And then uh, I think you know well I know what really happened um involved one of their um uh, you could say one of the proteges of 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 the Beatles and Brian Epstein, their manager, Scylla Black, who of course mm. was very very uh, popular here in in Britain and in other different parts of the world, but particularly in Britain at this time. And she recorded the song "Anyone Who Had a Heart." Yeah. And uh, I got into a dispute with one of my classmates who s- insisted that uh, the Dion Warwick, as we call her in England, version was better. And I said it isn't because I had a crush on Silla Black. But anyway, <laughs> the bottom line was, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true story. I had a crush on her. And anyway, um, did you ever meet her? her? I never, you know, it's so funny, Neil. I never did. Oh. Uh, I, 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 you know, of course subsequently met Dion and spent, has spent many, many hours in her company, but never met Silla Black. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. after uh, anyone who had a heart was a, uh, you know, a big hit for Silla, mm. uh, the next Dion uh, recording was walk on by and that just really I, I was completely taken by the song um, and, you know, all the silver so black photographs came down from the wall and, and up went all the Dion photographs. And I just became really, really interested in, in, in the music Dion was doing. And then, you know, some of the artists that were also her contemporaries, uh, <sighs> such as, you know, the people, you know, Martha and the Vangellas, I bought heat wave. Um, and then of course, um, Later that year, 1964, I actually got to see The Beatles uh, performed in, in, in the cinema, which is also a theater right next to where we live. My, my family lived fish and chip shop called um, Crusoe's on Kilburn High Road, and uh, we lived above it. And my dad got tickets for me and my sisters to see The Beatles with special guest Mary Wells. So right. that was my first concert. And um, you know, that, but at that point I started to be really, really, I was a, immersed myself in, in in what we still called R&B. We had yet really, it hadn't really morphed yet into being called soul music. Um, but it became my obsession.
0: Now you so, are renowned uh, soul music historian and an award-winning music journalist whose career spans more than 50 years, which is absolutely staggering. And congratulations for that. With the fascinating stories to tell, like playing cards with Luther Vandross in his New York apartment before he became globally famous, conducting the first UK cover story on supergroup Earth, Wind and Fire, founder Maurice White on a life changing plane ride in 1975 and getting a lift from Janet Jackson in her Jeep after an interview with her in 1993 and so on so what is it like being around these artists even before they've become famous
2: well (laughs) it's funny as you just recounted that i thought wow that is quite a lot isn't it um (laughs) how how is well to be really honest, to begin with, of course, in my early years as a music journalist, well, as I became a music journalist, that wasn't my original career plan, but, you know, that is how it turned out. And um, I mean, to begin with, of course, like many other people, I was in awe, you know, meeting people for the first time and being in the presence of artists whose music I had really loved already. Um, what What I discovered over time, of course, is the thing that I guess people do discover if they do this long enough, is that they're just people, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, as you mentioned, like ha- having a uh, playing cards with Luther and, and you know, uh, the ride with Janet Jackson, which was hilarious. And just the different things that, are, that have happened. Uh, you know, after a period of time, it, you know, as long as there's a sense of mutual respect there, uh, which in most cases there is, you know, it, it just becomes like, you know, meeting someone and just having a chat and getting to know them and discovering that, you know, like all of us, they have challenges and ups and downs in their careers. They have, you know, relationships that work and don't work. It becomes just like, um, I, I, you know, for the most part, um, that's been my experience. And I think p- p- part of what's uh, enabled me to, um, survive you could say and sustain myself in 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 the world of soul music and in music in general has been that i've accepted you know that we that while one can be gifted as as a creative person and you know as a singer songwriter producer at the end of the day we are all people And, and, and that kind of ability to relate to people is I think the thing that has um, really made the difference.
0: I think you're I think you're spot on there. I mean, I've this show's been going since uh, March 2020, so it's still in its infancy. But I have encountered countless artists that have had either mental health issues, they've been bullied at school, they, they've carried burden with them through their life, but they've found solace in music and. For me talking to, I mean, I've spoken to a couple um, top-end musicians like Rosala and Sean Smith, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you you get to know them as a person, not as a pop star. Mm -hmm. And it's different being on this side of the fence as opposed to, a fan that sees them for the first time in the in the public domain you know it's and yes. it's it's very refreshing because you actually sit down with them and you talk to them like a human being you don't talk to yeah. them oh my god it's oh oh it's rosella yeah you, you no. don't think of it like that you think of it it's someone that you know already and you, you're just having this chat yeah. it is yeah.
2: it is an amazing feeling absolutely and, and and you know to say like in life yeah, there's some people you kind of vibe with and you connect with uh, as artists and as, as people, and then there's some that, that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, it's not like everybody I've ever interviewed or everyone anyone I've ever uh, you know done something with in terms of music, um, you know, it isn't like I bond with all of them. I mean, there are people, there are very specific people over the course of that 50 years, as you pointed out, uh, <laughs> that I that I would say, you know, I felt. An affinity with, I felt kinship with, or I felt, or or developed a friendship with, Um, you know, and friendship in in, in those terms is a little different. I mean, when you're becoming friends with someone or you have a friendly relationship with someone who's traveling all the time, on the road all the time, you know, it's a little different from having a friend who lives in the same area or the same country Mm. or the same neighborhood. Yeah, it's a different kind of friendship. Mm. But still... It, you know friendships get maintained and there's a certain kind of there's some people who i will always cherish as people that i've really gotten to know and really like as people because that's the other thing yeah you know, mm-hmm. a you know like really liking them you know like this is somebody i would want to hang out with and that yeah. isn't true of everyone no. but it's certainly true of, of some of the people that i've had the privilege and, and, and opportunity to meet yeah especially like me of course Um, of course of course of course
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna hear um five unheard and unreleased tracks taken from the 2021's definitive aretha collection simply entitled aretha which you was hired by rhino records to work with uh patrick milligan to compile this new album so let's hear the first track Called my kind of town, Detroit is. You're gonna love this. I'm with the amazing David Nathan, music historian, author and writer. Um, David, how did you feel about being asked to work with a producer on the new Aretha album?
2: Yeah, well, this box set, uh, the Aretha box set, which is four CDs, is a career spanning, first of its kind collection. Um, For for me, to be asked to work on it, it was really like... um, it was a real honor, and I mean, I mean that very sincerely. Um, you know, Aretha, frankly, has been in a, a part of my life in one way or another uh, mm. since 1966. Well, actually, more accurately, 1965, uh, when I first heard her voice. Um, and, but as a presence, like her actual person that I could interact with since 1966, and over many, many years. So being asked to write, to work on a project that was honoring her entire career. I mean, boy, what what a wonderful opportunity. And I've worked with Patrick before, uh, P- Patrick Milligan at Rhino I- in Los Angeles. And he was just a great person. He is a great person to work with because he understood my feelings about Aretha and why I thought this was a really important project. And so it was just a real honour, and I'm really, really, really happy about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But Aretha has a distinctive multi-octave voice that moves millions around the world during an unrivaled career that spans six decades and garnered the singer-songwriter every achievement and honour imaginable. The day that you wrote to Aretha via her father's church in Detroit... Uh-huh. Was the day that your life was going to change? Hmm. So, what compelled you to make contact with
2: Aretha? Well, can I tell you a little backstory? I'll try to make yeah? it as brief as possible. Okay, so um, h- how my how I arrived at Aretha, so to speak, was through <laughs> what I call my musical DNA. So DNA oh, right, as yeah. in Dion. Yeah. So Dion being a fan of Dion Dion Warwick or Warwick as she's called outside of the UK uh-huh. uh, you know, following her and then she did an interview in, uh, for uh, one of the music papers here in Britain in 1964 and she, they were asked her who were some of her Amer- favorite American singers and she mentioned Nina Simone I thought yeah. well who is this Nina Simone I've got to find out who the Nina Simone, Nina Simone is so to truncate the story I ended up Asking to form the first British fan club appreciation society for Nina Simone, which I did in 1965. Yeah, and I met her at the airport. So that so you've got your D Dion, your N Nina, and then the A comes because when I meet uh, Nina at the airport in June of 1965, she says to me, she asks me, you know, whose music do you listen to other than mine? And I told her I listened to Dion. She never heard of her at that point. Uh, and she said, well, have you heard of this girl, Aretha Franklin? Girl, it's funny to say it now. <laughs> you heard of this girl, girl, Aretha Franklin? I said, well, I, I, I think I've heard her name. She said, well, you've got a singer here, Dusty Springfield, who's covering her songs note for note, which was not actually completely true. Dusty had done one Aretha song. But no, right. in Nina's mind, she was copying her anyway. So Nina went on a little bit of rant. But I thought, well, who is this Aretha Franklin? And, um, you know, a few months later, I was at a a beach party Mm -hmm. in Little Hampton and um, somebody brought a a record player um, to the beach uh, with batteries and they put on this album by Aretha Franklin. And I heard her singing Walk On By, uh, the Dion song, which she's covering it on that on that particular album. And I thought, oh, who is who is this? Who is this? (laughs) And I thought, oh, wow, I was just. Just, I mean, completely um, blown away by the sound of her voice. I I just could. I had. I hadn't heard anyone who sang like that. So in 1966, as a a teenager, I, all my pocket money that I got from working in a record shop on Saturday went on getting the imports, the Aretha Franklin LP imports. And what drew me to her voice? What drew me? what, What? What really was the catalyst for you writing to her? Um, was it she, number one, she didn't sound like anyone else I'd ever heard. And that was the first thing. And secondly, it was the just pure emotion, the emotion in her voice. I just, it just drew me in. And I felt some way connected to how she sounded and, and what she was singing about. Um, you know, and I just, it just, I can't, I can never fully explain it to anyone. I just felt something told me this is this this whoever this is she's absolutely amazing and at that point aretha was kind of marginal in america she wasn't she hadn't like become this mainstream artist by any means so of course you know as you said i I wrote to her father's to her care of her father's church sent a backup letter care of her manager who i didn't know at the time was also her husband and, um, you know, I got a reply about three months later and I was like, oh, I can't believe I got a letter from, the, from Aretha Franklin. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so I think really, you, you know, to go back to your original question, I kind of deviated a little bit, but it, it is it was really the, the, the emotion, the, the, the realness. I felt that she was not that how she was singing and how she was uh, expressing emotion was very very real it wasn't um artificial in any way it was really like something in how she was singing communicated to something within me that's the best way i can describe it was
0: you hoping to get a meeting with aretha when you when you wrote to her or was you just hoping to get some kind of acknowledgement from aretha
2: well at that point she had uh, the answer to the question is i just hoped she'd reply yeah. Uh, because she had not been outside of America, she had not toured anywhere other than within America, and even within America, in very limited kind of ways—jazz clubs, you know, uh, what they call supper clubs back then, yeah. occasional jazz festivals. But she wasn't like a concert artist; she didn't perform like at big venues like Carnegie Hall or anything like that. So she was still quite a, like I say, marginal in this. So the most I hoped for was to get a, a reply, and I did, and I was like, oh. Just, I just, I'll never forget the morning that I got the letter. I'll never forget. It. I remember exactly where I was, exactly how it happened. It was a Saturday morning. I mean, I just remember everything about it. And I didn't know, and she certainly had no plans to come to England. She, she mentioned in the letter that she hoped she would, mm. but she there was nothing like on the cards at that point that would suggest she would have been able to do that.
0: Well, we'll be right back to continue these amazing stories that David's got to tell and we're going to play the next song which is a song duetted with uh, Smokey Robinson called Oh Baby Baby and I'm going to have to say this again you are going to love this.
1: I did you wrong My heart went out to play But in the game
0: Welcome back. Uh, we've got David Nathan with me. Um, David, when did you decide, or how did it happen, that you was going to be become this music historian, this music journalist?
2: Well, it was as I said, I think I mentioned earlier, it wasn't my original career path. I wanted to be a diplomat. Okay. Probably just as well I didn't become one. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> well, really, yeah, and, and to be honest with you, it wasn't like a. It wasn't like I sat down and said, "Oh, I really want to be a music journalist. Or I really want to work in soul music." Mm. It really kind of just evolved, and it evolved out of me being a fan, and then studying the Nina Simone Appreciation Society, and then um, you know, in 1966, I uh, co-owned a record shop. I didn't have any money to put into it, but I did have knowledge and wisdom about the music. Uh, With Dave Godin, who was the founder, original founder of the Tamla Motown Appreciation Society in Britain. Mm -hmm. Um, And he and I and a third person, Robert Blackmore, created this little shop in in Deptford, London, called Soul City. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that went on for a few years. And somewhere in the midst of that, I started writing for this. New magazine called Blues and Soul was their new magazine. Mm. And um, as it turned out, um, in in 1970, after Soul City closed, I started writing, working for the company that owned Blues and Soul, which was called Contempo. And Blues and Soul was their main, um, was actually their main, um, what would you call it, their main outlet, so to speak. And and I started writing reviews and, and doing a few interviews, and I absolutely loved, found a love for writing, love for writing and doing interviews. And that actually was was how it really um, uh, began. And uh, John Abbey, who was the editor and founder of Blues and Soul, very kindly um, kept giving me opportunities to do that in London. Uh, And then in 1974, I went to visit New York and did a few interviews there. And, um, came back and told everybody I was moving to America <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just know I wanted to write. I just loved, loved writing about artists, meeting them. It was just the writing about it and sharing with people about the music. You know, it was really about sharing the music and I loved it. I absolutely loved doing that. And John Abbey again, very kindly. I owe John Abbey a great debt. Uh, for, for having given me the opportunity to be the New York resident correspondent for Blues and Soul, uh, which mm-hmm. lo- was for many, many years. And that's when I got to meet many of the artists that uh, some of the ones you've mentioned. Uh, yeah. Luther Vandross, for sure. Spend more time with Aretha, um, who I'd met in 1968 when she came to visit for the first time Britain, in Britain. Um, so that's really it. But it was not a conscious like, oh, this is going to be my career path. It kind of just happened happens, like organically yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 i you know I, I just think it's it's you know as I talk to to people as like, when I'm speaking with you neil it kind of re- reminds me of ha- an amazing it just kind of mm. i, I don 't want to say it' cause this happened, but it kind of did just happen. it, it kind yeah. of morphed into that and and I just kept staying with um you know doing what I love and sometimes that didn't mean. And I made much money, but you know, that wasn't about it, wasn't about that. It was about doing something that I, I love. The
0: passion. The, yes, passion, the passion
2: overrules. That's right. And
0: in 1980, talking about passion, uh, you were invited to Aretha's home in Encino on condition you tasted her renowned peach cobbler, and <laughs> you had a real connection with Aretha. Yeah. Now, it seems, um, Surreal.
2: Hmm. Well, it, it probably does seem surreal now. Uh, so, so, so to create just a little context around it, you know, I, I had been I, I had been doing interviews with Aretha mm. from from the time uh, I did some when I was still in Britain, uh, obviously transatlantic uh, uh, interviews, and then when I went to live in America, I began, you know, at different times doing stories for Blues and Soul, which were specifically you know interviews with Aretha, and she mm. t- to a to say something about that, I mean, she wasn't somebody who necessarily granted interviews to everybody. And what the basis of it. Well, pop, <laughs> she did do. I mean, well, no, that would that would be that would be a little bit of a stretch. But I think what it was and, and I do actually I, I know what it was because um, we had made that connection very early on. Like yeah. she didn't necessarily remember the details. But I did remind her that I, you know. Had, had spoken with her in 1966 to wish her a Merry Christmas and that I you know she'd written to me. And, you know, I met her at the airport in 1968 when she came for the first time to perform. So we already had some kind of basis for knowing each other. And uh, so when I went to live in America, she already had that kind of history of relations, relatedness with me, you know. Yeah. And she also loved I mean, to, to be fair, I, mean, I think this has something to do with it. She loved that I was a, a Brit, that I, you know, that this was somebody not born in America. that somebody who had expressed their uh, appreciation and enjoyment of her music who wasn't part of her environment. And she used to she I remember many times she she loved that I was doing these stories for blues and soul. She really did. It was a, a kind of kick for her, too, you know, because she wasn't like she toured Britain every year. So it was a big deal. And so anyway, to, to I, that's the background. So here we are it's 1980 Aretha has signed to Arista Records and I get this phone call unexpected to say uh, you know she tells me I have just signed to Ariston I-, I would love you to 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 come out and and listen to the album before it's released and I mean how I going to say no, right so I said well yeah sure and this was not sponsored by a record company so this is before she a you know, record company she was really working with Arista, she had just done the album but she wasn't there was no publicist in place or anything like that. So she said, uh, well, if you come out, you know, I said, I said oh, great. OK, well, I'll do that. Um, So on my own uh, dime, as they say, I flew <laughs> out to L.A., but I made a condition. I said, well, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll come out. But but I've heard all about, your, you know, how, how great you are cooking. And I I want to taste your uh you this dessert you made called well, I didn't call it dessert I kind of knew what it was peach cobbler and so he said all right and on the night I got to LA on the schedule to do the interview guide to her home uh I you know confirmed everything and I said uh by the way you haven't forgotten have you do so you mean the peach cobbler I'm like yeah I said no it's here <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny She was a woman of her world and the peach cobbler was wonderful and I wanted to take some home with me, but I thought that would be pushing (laughs) it.
0: And you was actually um, at her home for the release of her platinum album, Who's Zooming Who? For which you, of uh, one faith, one hope, one baptism has her Father's Church, also in Detroit in 1987. It must have been, you're following this woman's uh, musical uh, career path, and you're right behind her, all the way. You're watching, in apart from in awe, um, but you have that... This is this friendly uh, connection, Mm -hmm. isn't it? This is, you know, Mm -hmm. who you choose to be friends with, who you want to hang out with. And Mm -hmm. she seems, from what you're saying, is that she could be your friend to hang out with, as well as be the iconic soul queen.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you say hang out with, of course, you know, again, bear in mind, you know, what her career was about, what she was doing, what I was doing. We wouldn't actually get to hang out in that sense. You know, oh, like, how, many, hey. how, how many artists? How many
0: artists would say, "Yeah, exactly. come on over and, and try my peach cobbler."
2: Well, that's true. That's you true. Know? But, 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 but I, when I say how I mean you know, I guess we may have different definitions of hang out. It would for me it would be like hang out a week, hanging out with the would be like, "Hey David, you want to go? For, you want to go to a club?" I mean, because we didn't do that kind of stuff. No. But But uh, no, but but we did have a we did have a very you know, an increasingly um, I would say, uh, uh, personal, personable, and then developed into more of a personal friendship kind of a relationship. Um, and, and, it, ha- of course, it, it matured that way over time. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I remember that interview uh, around Who's Zoom and Who. Part, part of that was because I was also hired to write uh, her bio, like the, the bio for the record company, or in England we call it a biog. Um, you know, for Alex to record. So part of it was also that assignment. And um, it was just really delightful. It was just delightful. She was dealing with a, a, a lot at the time. Her father had, uh, had had passed away the previous year. He had been ill for several years and been in a coma. And so she'd moved back to Detroit. And, um, you know, she seemed like she was in, in, in good spirits, in particular the day that, that we met. Uh, she made me laugh. She, she said she had she had um, met up with, or she had rekindled a, a, a crush on, on someone. She had a crush on as a, when they were in school together. Right. She, she, yeah, she was telling me about this guy, and and it was just like that kind of conversation that I was a little bit more personal than usual. Yeah. I mean, in that respect, but you know, I, I guess, I guess over time, uh, you know, that that is how the relationship developed. For sure, yes.
0: Let's hear another track because I'm I'm loving this, and um, it's still from Aretha, uh, the out uh, the um, box set, and it's called Angel. <laughs>
1: by Aretha when you came. I've got something I want to say. When I got there, she said rather than go through a long, drawn-out thing, I think the melody on the box will explain. Gotta find me an angel. Fly away with me. Gotta find me an angel who will set me free. My heart's without home. Don't wanna be alone. I gotta find me. Bye.
0: Welcome back. What did you think to that uh, song called Angel? I'm sure you'll be out there downloading the actual box set. It'd be well worth it. With me is David Nathan. Um, Hitting on a very sombre note, David. um, Aretha died on August 16th, 2018 at the age of 76. Um, Such a tragic blow to the music industry. Being the Queen of Soul... um, Mm -hmm. What are your
2: memories of that day? Ah, uh, wow. Well, that 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 was a that was a, a very difficult day. Um, you know, I, I had been, um, I guess you could say, forewarned. Four, four, not forewarned is probably the wrong word, but um, I got a call earlier that week from her from her primary publicist, Gwendolyn, mm-hmm. Gwendolyn Quinn, who said, um, "I just want to let you know, David, we may call on you to write." Something for um the program for Aretha's memorial now she couldn't tell me at that point you know she's definitely you know not gonna be here by the end of the week and she couldn't say anything like that and she said this is in confidence, so i understood but but it alerted me that you know Aretha was at a particular point in her uh in a in her health that that was l possibly, possibly gonna happen. Within the week. Um, and, and then on that Thursday, you know, it, it is when it happened because of time difference. Um, I didn't find, I found out, you know, first thing in the morning here, which was already, um, actually, no, let me get that right. So it was like somewhere in the afternoon in, in, in America. And so by the early evening here. And, um, you know, it was hard. It was very hard to, to just take take it in. And um, I ended up being asked do a lot of interviews, with BBC and stuff like that, TV stuff, uh, initially. So yeah. I didn't really have a lot of time to think about it. And then um, the next morning, I got a call from one of my cousins who told me that my cousin, her sister, had actually uh, passed away the same day as Aretha, so the, oh. the day before. So it was like a double... Um, it was like a double, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a Blow. double. I don't say whack. Well, yeah, it really was because I was dealing with a personal, like a personal member of my family uh, who, who was actually the same age as me and um, and Aretha, both on the, literally the same day. So it was those few days afterwards were, um, were difficult, were very hard. I, did, I couldn't listen to Aretha's music initially, uh, I mean, during those times, those few days. It was just too difficult. I couldn't, you know, I had to just deal with my own emotions around that and my cousin. Mm. And I went to my cousin's funeral, so then that was even more, you know, challenging. Um, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think of them both at the same time now on that day, August 16th, you know, with fondness and, 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 and great memories. And, you know, I'm glad that to have had, had both of them in my life in different ways. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, it, but it, but the actual day itself was, was difficult. Yeah. Can you describe
0: how it felt working alongside or with such an iconic artist? Now bear in mind, this artist is—you would you would think she's so high up on the in, on the in the music industry that she's untouchable, can't get to her, and things like that—and <laughs> you've been able to. Um, grow with her,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and you probably out of a very select few have had this this tremendous connection with Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. so how did it
2: feel <laughs> well, I mean at different times it was a little strange. I remember you know that call you know to come and listen to the album in nineteen eighty it was a little bit bizarre there not bizarre, but like wow. As time went on, um, it was it was kind of like someone calling up on the phone saying, "Hey, how are you?" And and, and so, to be honest with you, Neil, to, to in the last you know I would say the last five or six, seven years of, of Aretha's uh, life, when we were still you know connected and in touch, and it was not unusual uh, to quote a Tom Jones song. <laughs> to, for her to just call on the phone out of the blue and just say, yeah, I, I remember you know, she would just call and say, hey, David, and she, she said, she wouldn't say, hey, this is Aretha, because I knew her voice immediately. i said, <laughs> say, hi, Aretha. And then the next line would be, so, David, what's the gossip? <laughs> I know that's not how people would think she would be, but that was, it. And, I, and then I would feign like, "Oh, I don't know what you're talking about." Kind of like, "Oh, I don't, you know, what do you mean gossip? I don't know any gossip." <laughs> 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 but it was that kind of, at some point, you know, what happens as happens in, in in relationships with all kinds of people. You kind of go through a you, you pass a certain threshold where there's a there's an ease and a comfort and a certain kind of familiarity that um that that happens. It doesn't happen with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really what happened. And, and, and so how it was working with her, um, I mean, I did work with her. I mean, of course, I wrote liner notes for different albums. I did updated her bio for Arista Records and for J Records at different times. So so it was, um, you know, it was just like easy. I mean, she, she didn't make it difficult. I mean, we only had one moment of of, of, of upset in all those years, really, in all those years. We had one thing that happened that I thought was a little bit not, not, not so wonderful, Uh, but it was just a one time thing. And, and, you know, it didn't, didn't last. I I will say this, you know, I I always um, made sure that I gave Aretha the respect she deserved for what she had accomplished. And she also in turn, you know, gave me respect for someone who had, has had been a journalist for a long time writing about her and, just for my own like survival so to speak in, in, in music so there was that mutual respect that made it a lot easier to to work with her um and uh, you yeah, know we used to have just sometimes just very funny conversations about other music other people's music and you know and stuff like that to quote quincy jones mm.
0: <laughs> well you said uh respect which is the r-e-s-p-e-c-t um <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes so we're gonna take another break um fill our lungs with fresh air and uh come back after what we've heard uh from the queen of soul until you come back to me Welcome back. David Nathan is with me. What is what is it about music history that fires up your passion? And has it always been soul music?
2: Well, I'll answer the last question first. Yes. So it's always been soul music. Okay. Uh, and, and, and different allied forms of it. So I would say, you know, not just straight up soul music, you know, um, some you know, funky stuff. You know, what we came to know as disco, I mean the different kind of branches of it, mm-hmm. But essentially, yes, it's always been soul music that has fueled my soul actually mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that was the last question your last public question, and now i've forgotten what the first part was what is it about music history oh, what that is it? Up your music passion? music history yes 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 well <laughs> uh, that's good that's a good question well you know you know really I think what it is new as as a as a teenager. You know, I was I was quite, as um, uh, I say kind of not nerdy, but kind of geeky a little bit, and I like collecting things. You know, I was interested in archaeology as well. I was interested in you know different countries and collecting the names of ambassadors, all kinds of weird things like as a as a teenager. So I was already disposed to being interested in history in a sense already. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that. It's not a big stretch for me to be interested in the history of soul music, but more likely I'd say that I've become known as a soul music historian as a result of my having been doing this for so long. It wasn't like I planned to be a historian. It's more like, I guess you could say I'm more like a living historian because I'm really sharing about my experiences and just you know, understanding about the roots of the music as well. So, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I always think it's kind of funny. I never thought I'd ever become a, a historian, but here I am.
0: <laughs> well, I think the universe had uh, something in store for you, and you you are certainly fulfilling um,
2: what it had in store. So what's next for David Nathan? Um, uh, well, a few things. Um, you know, I've been, you know, working steadily on what I would say my musical memoirs, which... um you know, really the story of my of my life in, in, in music and in soul music mm. uh, and, and how it developed some of the things I've shared with you. Um, so I'm really working towards doing that. I currently post doing a series of posts, thanks to social media on, on my website and, and, and on different social media outlets, um, like brief posts that kind of track my journey. So at some point that will become a book of some kind. Mm. Who knows, it might become a a Netflix series, because it does have drama in it. Wow. It isn't all, it isn't all, it isn't all, oh, I met so and so and I met so and so. You can't live a life in soul music without having a real life as well. Well, yeah. So there's that. Yes. That's, so, so that, and then, um, that's one thing. I'm also, um, you know, con- continuing to work on other projects with Rhino records related to Aretha's legacy. Mm. So we've got some other projects it, it kind of in the, in, in the, in the hopper, so to speak, um, and then, um, then one other thing that, that is not really in the in the realm of soul music as we know it, but more about the soul, as in one's soul, mm. which is a book that I've um, that I've authored that I intend to have come out next year, which is called Through Seven Lives, My Soul Deep Connections, and that about different. My recall of different incarnations as a as a soul. Now that wow okay. would have to have come from my own belief system. Well, not my own, but the, the idea of reincarnation. Mm. So that's uh, so that's a whole different world. But it but it is kind of connected to my soul. So you know, there you go. It's still a soul connection in there.
0: Wow. And
2: where can we um,
0: be looking out for all, for your new work coming
2: out? Yes. Yeah, the best way to, to, to keep track of me. It's a little bit of a plug, but that's okay, I suppose. Yeah, It's on my website, www.davidnathan.com. Okay. And there you can find some of the posts that I've been talking about that track my journey. And then we'll also be talking about this book that I just mentioned when it comes out and just keeping up with my activities. I have a mailing list and so keep people up to date with what I'm up to. Excellent, excellent. So
0: we can all go to davidnathan.com. And as I've... Had such a fantastic time um, with you today, David. I could talk to you all day, um, but unfortunately, the sands of time have run out once again. But you out there can catch up with all my guests at tinyurl.com forward slash new stars show. That stars with a Z. Now we're going to be playing out with the last and final track uh, from Aretha Franklin called Mr. DJ Five. For the DJ, and that sums me up good and proper. Um, I want to say, take care, be kind to one another. From myself, Neil Clark, and my very, very special guest, David Nathan. Say goodbye, David. Goodbye,
2: David. Oh, I mean goodbye, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can tell, you can tell, I I, I still have uh, a very Uh, Wicked British sense of humor.
0: Yes, you do. Yes, you do.
2: But thank you. I just really want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the time today. Uh, It's been really a joy speaking to you and and just really thank you for your questions. Just really, I've I've loved, I've loved doing this, uh, having this conversation with you and uh, just saying hello to all your listeners, wherever they may be, you know keep being soulful
0: absolutely absolutely well let's crank that uh, turntable up and uh, release that song so from from us to you goodbye